This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett, CSW. I'm here again with... Mr. James Callahan. And Anna Schneider. Tonight, we are, um, I guess, today we are still drinking tonight. <laughs> it's the thing of doing multiple podcasts. And also, podcasts are timeless, so it feels weird saying tonight. <laughs> At this point, you are listening to us drink. The uh, Trendsetter, which is a Norton Chamberson blend from Twin Rivers Winery. A label, uh, this wine is uh, named for um, Maude Wagner, who was the first female tattoo artist in America um, from Emporia, Kansas. Um, This wine is a little difficult. Whenever the wine has bubbles on it in a decanter, you know something's cray. Yeah, so... uh, We'll talk a little bit about, well, Norton and Chamberson, we've met both in season one uh, from Nebraska and, well, multiple Nortons, really. Uh, So this might be the episode where we tackle uh, a very formidable topic with wine and something that needs to be discussed. And also, since I happen to be drinking with a winemaker, what better time? We'll call it Britannomyces is what it is. And yeah. I can't really explain it anywhere beyond that. Well, you can tell people what Britannomyces is. Britannomyces is a rogue yeast that will, after the end of fermentation, it is like the ravens of the wine world. They will survive, they will eat anything left over, and make sure that it can have enough life to continue. And Britannomyces is the same way. Like, once all the... um, Glucose and fructose is fermented, or maybe most of it's fermented by the Saccharomyces strains. There might be some problems in the fermentation that end with just a little bit left over, or maybe some other unfermentable sugars by those yeast strains left over in the wine. And then Britannomyces comes in and cleans up house. And that's kind of what we're tasting here. A little bit of, um, they call it barnyard or band-aid. Um, what do you smell? To me, it, um smells like a barnyard after a rainstorm and someone has just lit a match and blew it out. <laughs> uh, and there's a little bit of fruit in there, but it's buried. I'm also not very familiar with the varietals, so it's hard for me to tell exactly what's going on. But even looking at the wine in the decanter and noticing it um, form bubbles... It's uh, there's definitely something microbial going on. That's my thought. Something maybe I, I'm I'm guessing Britannomyces right now. But yeah, I mean the the smell is is pretty. The funny thing about Britannomyces is is that it's prevalent in many wines from France, many wines from the old world, and some of those wines are lauded as being the best vintages ever, and they sell for thousands of dollars a bottle, and they have and they're riddled with brett, and wine critics and wine drinkers put that aside and say hey this wine's from this reputable house that makes this fancy pinot from 
some some slope in southern Burgundy, you know, and everyone loves it. But the reality is it's flawed. And that's how we look at it in America, because it's like that. We're, we, we are sterile. We are clean. We try to be on point with that. And when it shows up, it's a flaw here, but, you know, most people that drink wine don't drink as much wine as we do, I'm sure. And they really enjoy the, the history yeah. and the... Um, the location, the, the house, the, the style where it's made, regardless of flaws. And that's perfectly fine. And the reality is, is do you enjoy the wine? Yeah. You know. It's hard to combat Brett. It's yeah. hard to combat. It's kind uh, of like, uh, it's kind of like the cockroach yeast of the wine cellar. Yeah. Yeah. And once you have it, the only way to get rid of it is literally to to nuke the site from orbit and start over. And that might not even do it. And that might not even do it, because cockroaches. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Although Brett has nothing to do with cockroaches, let me... And I wish we had a micro-lab, like a laboratory here, we can uh, just analyze it and be 100% sure, but I'm just... That's what I'm smelling. No, yeah, I mean... Different wine flaws have different key aromas and different characters. Um, so Brett is characterized by that sort of band-aid... Well... Or, Let's go back to Band-Aids for a second, like, because Band-Aids have changed over the last 30, 40 years. So, like, we're talking about, like, 1990s Band-Aid, like, plastic. Yeah. With, like, this adhesive glue that smells like this, like... Nowadays, the new Band-Aids are, like, fa fabric and shit, and they don't really have yeah. that kind of... But these are, like, we're talking about old-school plastic, vinyl-y Band-Aids that are, like... Smell that fresh, and you're like, that's Band-Aid. Yeah. You, you don't get that smell anymore, so just try to, like... A quick, I'm trying yeah. to like relate this to Jump people. your mind back to the 1990s um, when things were not, better. If you were not around back in the 1990s, such an it might innocent be a different... time. Yeah. Barnyard's also hard because most people live in the city. Yeah. Who uh, who fucking lives in a barn, and who has a barnyard in their backyard? It's like that's that's hard to equate that to. Other people say, um, gamey, but that's not necessarily equivalent because how? When's the last time you had game? to eat well don't you hear it <laughs> compared to sweat in a barnyard context too? like, like horse sweat. sweat yes horse like sweat. the sweat underneath the saddle on a horse's back which but is still, such a specific that's only sense. a few people in the world that yeah. can smell that yeah. so that's not something and we're being snobs here with. we're like yeah this is right we pick up on that right away but well um, it's because we drink a lot and we know it and what we do and the color is also shifted a little bit, so this is definitely a little older. I don't know what vintage this is offhand. Is it non-vintage? I don't know. I think it's non-vintage, yeah. Yeah, we are not seeing a year on the bottle. But the bottle does have a lady with tattoos all over it. And I love the concept of commemorating the first woman tattoo artist in yeah, the Yeah, that's freaking that's cool. cool. Yeah, for me, wines with yeah. Brett always very strongly remind me of sour beers. Yeah, it's and if you've ever had a sour beer, then you've had something influenced by Brett. Yeah, and I love sour beer because that's what you know you're going to get, and it's what you're supposed to be getting, but then when you have those same flavors in wine, that's not what you signed up for, necessarily. This wine, regardless, the problem with Brett is it takes over the wine and mutes all the fruit characteristics and just leaves behind its trace. Um, yeah, that's... Like I said, this could be a burgundy. 
and people would love it if it had a different label, but it's just not. <laughs> and that's people for you. People are guided by what they buy and how much they pay. The wine's not bad. I'll drink this wine, but I do like a little Brett in my wine sometimes. Yeah, it, it adds character. I worked at one of the best Pinot Noir houses in the world, and we had a wine that had Brett. And we have some in the cellar here. And it was a flaw to them, but all the interns and all the people that worked there really wanted bottles of it, because it was so unique and different. And almost uh, Burgundian in the way it was done. And that's what we were drinking back then. Like Most Burgundian wines were Brett-riddled. And that's what people wanted. That's what people paid thousands of dollars for. Yeah. So it's interesting, Like it's not necessarily a flaw, because if people are paying thousands of dollars for it, how can it be a flaw? But can people realize it's a flaw? The average person that buys a $3,000 bottle of Domaine Remini Conti is probably not a wine connoisseur. They probably just have lots of money. Yeah. And a sommelier is selling it to them. Yeah. And um, for people that drink wine for a living and understand wine for a living, we understand that, yeah, it's, it's bread. It's fine. It might not be our go-to choice, but there's also yeah. heritage there. And there's also unique flavors that come about with bread. Yeah. You know, and there's things that you pull out of the wine that are interesting and fun, more earthy, more like barnyard characters, yeah. shit like that. It's like, that's old world character. Like when we think of the old world wine, we think of that, like most old world wines. Like if you're drinking wine 20, let's say 20 years ago, before really new world style reached the old world. Yeah. Um, Wines were riddled with bread all over the place. Yeah. And like occasionally there's great fruit wines that were made that were clean. But most old world wines are bread ridden. Especially and still today in Italy, especially there's a lot. The stuff that makes it over here to America, like half of the crap is bread riddled, you know, in the lower price points and you know, it's it's part of wine. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of old world cellar practices where you don't really clean things and steam things and sanitize things and make things pure. And that's just the way they did it. And that's fine. People drank wine like that for hundreds of years. Thousands. Thousands. I am getting some of the varietal characters of Chamberson and, and Norton lurking under there, that sort of earthy, almost like a, a, a raspberry that you've dropped in, a, in dirt. And rolled it around in dirt, and then you pop it in your mouth. That, that to me, is a, a Chamberson flavor character. Okay. And I'm getting that lurking. And then Norton just has this weird flavor that I can't well, describe other than I mean, I that, know it when I see it. Like I said earlier, like I've never had these grapes before. But but the bread I, is definitely high. It smells like bread, yeah. yeah. And I, it could just be the varietal characteristic that smells like bread. I don't know. I no, don't drink these it's, wines it's that not often, so. the varietal characteristic. <laughs> but it does smell like a cranberry rolled in the dirt in the barn. With manure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does have a little bit of that cranberry, raspberry brightness. So what are some other wine flaws out there? Since we're talking about wine flaws in this episode, and it's an issue that needs to be discussed. Someone's yeah. like, why haven't you talked about wine flaws yet? And it's like, because I haven't had a wine to talk about wine flaws yet. Oxidation. Okay. How does that manifest in a wine? Flat, flabby wines. Rich, uh, sorry, um, more brown white wines and then the red wines would be a little bit flatter flabby uh, white wines would be flabby and brown you can tell more on a white wine 
But usually if it's a red wine, it has more orange character on the color. Yeah. Oxidation is basically just like if you leave an apple out, fresh cut apple, leave it out in the air, oxygen. Yeah. yeah. Not maybe. I'm not sure if the percentage of oxygen in the air is off the top of my head. But I want to say 35? Not as, as, not as much as nitrogen, but still, I want to say 30. It reacts. That's a good and, question. Uh, yeah, that, it'll basically turn the fruit from being fresh and vibrant to being kind of more muddled and oxidated. Uh, there's no other word for it. Oxidation, yeah. That's one one. Uh, volatile acidity is the probably most prominent one that we deal with as winemakers, which can happen from uh, oxygen contact with wine, but it's not the oxidative effects that affect the wine, but it's more so the bacteria that grow in the presence of oxygen that feast on alcohol producing volatile acid. So vinegar basically, acetic acid is the acid we're yeah. against. And that happens naturally. So as winemakers, we're always fighting that. Every wine will turn to vinegar eventually. Yeah, there's there's no... There's no doubt. Over time, it'll, it's a part of natural process. So that's probably the biggest flaw we work with trying to keep things fresh and clean in the beginning. Eventually there'll be vinegar, but if we can show them off in their most beautiful form for the first 20 or 30 years, well, every winemaker will be very happy if they can do that, you know? What do you think about it, Anna? I, it, to me, it's pretty rough with the VA. Yeah. That kind of overshadows anything else going on in this wine. Uh, for the record, this bottle was brought to me by... Um, she's not really active on Instagram anymore, sadly. Um, she was going to do a world record run of most number of wineries visited in a year. And she's kind of dropped off the face of the planet, unfortunately. But she brought this bottle. Uh, her, uh, Tiffany, her name is uh, on Instagram, uh, Wine Hippie. Uh, oh, it's she, Wine Hippie. Yeah. I remember, she came in the room. Yeah, I brought her to room. But this is one of the bottles that she brought. It's always fun trying new things. Yeah. This is your first Kansas wine? No, this is not my first Kansas wine. This is actually... Actually, probably... So when I visited Kansas a number of years ago, I visited about four different wineries. So this is probably, in terms of raw numbers, my... 20th Kansas wine mm. in terms of tasting in terms of bottles that I've owned this is my sixth bottle um, yeah. the other Kansas bottles have been imbibed and downed um, uh, season one Kansas was a rosé made of St. Vincent mm. yeah you know I don't mind a little Brett yeah but this is a little much. I expect something to be more fruity. I want to see what Kansas can do, you know? I want Kansas has done some great things, and this, I admit, is, is not showing the best that Kansas can do. Yeah. Uh, based on my own experience. Uh, I wouldn't label it as extensive, yeah. but I guess in the room here, I've had more experience with Kansas wine than, than either of you guys. Um... And uh, I had a really great Chamberson at um, Whitetail Run Vineyard. And uh, it was aged on French oak as opposed to American oak. And so many people aged Chamberson on 
American Oak, and I think that American Oak is too overwhelming for that varietal. I think American Oak you need a light touch with, and only certain yeah. varietals can work with it. Things like Petite Syrah, Pimpernillo, <laughs> maybe Tanat. Cabernet Sauvignon, man. Silver Cabernet. Oak. Shit's fucking popular. But is it good? Yeah. People buy it. It's okay. popular. Yeah. But do you like it? No, my taste doesn't go that way. Okay. But that's just, I don't like coconut and dill. Yeah. You know, other people do. But that's Speaking of coconut and dill, uh, we should talk about the, the big elephant in the room in terms of uh, wine flaws. Mm. The corking. Oh, TCA. Yeah. Which I, I can't. I don't, I don't think that is a wine flaw, personally. I think it's a modeling flaw. It's a, a flaw of nature and like, I don't think you should ever judge a wine by being corked, personally. Like, for those of us that do make wine and use cork closure to embrace the ancient tradition of cork, it's a, a fact of life that there'll be a certain percentage of wines that end up being influenced by trichloroanisol. <laughs> That's <Zoom> tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so trichloroanisol trichlor or TCA for salt. Yeah. For short, uh, is uh, the molecule basically that that is created. It's like when a mold reacts to chlorine that's on a cork exactly. or something. Yeah. So how does that taste in a wine? When you get it, Anna, do you know what it tastes like? To me, I don't even get as far as tasting it. As soon as you open the bottle, the smell hits you. It's wet newspaper and mushroom, and it's usually most apparent in the smell before you even get to tasting it. Angry basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grandma's basement. Grandma in the basement with a knife. <laughs> Next on Clue. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love this label. The label design is fantastic. Um, it's a nice, I think, label design that really kind of... Uh, Sets this apart. It would definitely look very shocking yeah, it, and bright on the cool, shelf. It's a cool concept. I mean, admittedly, I wasn't sure that this wine would be good because the cork had started to come out of the bottle, so I was worried about that. Which also speaks to secondary fermentation taking place in the bottle, um, which is fine if you're making champagne. But yeah, and watching the wine in the decanter in front of us. There's but, a lot of bu bubbling. There's been a lot of motion that's happened since we opened this bottle. But now it seems to have calmed down. Yeah. Like, I remember there was almost like a film of bottle, bubbles on it. Oh, James is pulling out a bottle of something. What is it? God only knows. <laughs> oh, that's the name of the wine. <laughs> that's fantastic. I need to see this. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a fantastic label too. But anyway, gang, any other wine flaws you really want to talk about? Let's not talk about more wine flaws with the poor. <laughs> I feel sorry for the wine. No, it's it's not worthy. I know, but it's, it's a good topic. Wine, that, this is Brett, it's it's a topic that needs to be addressed though and talked about. There's pediococcus. There's lactobacillus. There's um, ropiness, which causes, like, rope-like structures forming in the wine. What, like, There's, that's a protein like, thing, isn't it? No, not tartrates, no, it's different. different. It's a protein thing, isn't it? No, it's a bacteria. 
Huh. It forms huh. ropiness. Yeah, I forgot what bacteria it is, but it forms these like chains of like salivy, gooey ropiness. I've seen oh. those in bottles. Gross. Tartrates are another one. So tartrates are like and they they're, not, they're not a flaw too. though. They're not. A they're flaw. just yeah. you didn't pro- you didn't uh, cold you stabilize. Didn't, yeah, but you shouldn't have to. I mean, you're making wine. Like it is what it is. Like. They have they haven't had cold stabilization for thousands of years. Wine is wine. It's like yeah. you get tartrates, whatever. It's not not the end of the world. Yeah. It's not gonna make the wine bad. It's just a little bit of like sediment in the bottom. Yeah. Or white wine. But I love when people refer to it in the taste room as wine diamonds. Yeah, wine diamonds. You know, the biggest thing is like when winemakers don't do their due diligence in the wine if there's lots of sediment, lots of cloudiness lots yeah. of like you know if the bottle's been laid on its side for a year and you pick it up and like half the, and bottle's, half the bottle's covered in red shit it's like you know like something went wrong somewhere that's not normal um yeah i mean good wine is hard to find it's yeah. it's, it's an art just like good food yeah you can make a hamburger at denny's or you can make a hamburger at the finest steakhouse in new york city and i bet you the Hamburger at the finest steakhouse in New York City is fantastic. And yeah. the one at Denny's probably doesn't hold the candle. That's okay. But that's, what, right. that's the way things work in this world. Uh, I, I apologize to Twitter Rivers. <laughs> um, I, I know this was not the best bottle, but I do want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about, to talk about uh, this very necessary topic that I've wanted to talk about in this podcast <laughs> for a while. Um, I'm not judging you badly for this wine at all. I've actually had other wines from your winery. Uh, I'm pretty sure you were the ones that made a St. Vincent that I really enjoyed a couple of years ago uh, that I picked up in a liquor store in Kansas um, that I really enjoyed. That's okay. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not holding this bottle against you by, by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, I'm sorry, but at the same time not sorry because... Wine flaws are an important thing that people need to know about if they're going to be approaching and tasting wine on a semi-serious level. And not all wine flaws are bad. For example, uh, I like a little bit of smoke tank now and then. Depending on the year, depending on the vineyard, I think it adds an extra dimension of uh, a knowledge of, yes, this was a year of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, where there was danger and intrigue. and okay, Maybe not intrigue, but danger and smoke and fire and devastation and it's reflected in that wine which I think is a really fantastic thing now I'm not talking about like overwhelming like entire smoke tank but um, the classic example for this in Arizona is the DA Ranch La uh, Cabra Tanat because that block of Tanat for some reason just sits exactly where all the campfire smoke from the other side of Oak Creek just settles and so you always get a little bit of smoke tank. And in years when there's a forest fire, like the big fire that burned in Oak Creek the other, a couple of years ago, that character is more prominent. And I liked that vintage because it spoke to the drama that was going on in the lives of the people that were making the wine, that weren't making the wine, that are gonna drink the wine, that aren't gonna drink the wine, that were living in this wine region. Which, you know, maybe that makes me a poet, but, you know, whatever. And there goes the bottle. And now we've got to wait until Anna comes back to do the toast. (laughs) But, uh... We're going to finish our glasses of the Trendsetter, and then we're going to crack open uh, the God Only Knows from Walla Walla. 
Um, which is your label like this. Sorry. Hey, your label is good. Your label's no, good. No, for the new label. The problem is, by large, you know everything that goes into your blends. You're not sourcing from hundred-year-old vineyards where you have no fucking idea what's planted. Like these guys might be. We're gonna have fun. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Indeed. Let's make America grape again. Make America grape again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. Seven years more of no sex. Don't worry about it. You'll be alright. Okay, this is a short con.